0: Hello, and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today it's me, and I'm going to be talking more about emotions and eating. Now, if you haven't already, do go back and listen to my episode last week with Rahel Heinemann, psychotherapist, who really talks in detail about food and the connection with our deeper feelings. It's a really interesting episode. So I know in the whole kind of eating disorders area, we often hear the phrase, it's not about food, it's about feelings. Now often, if you're struggling with food, it really does feel about the food 100% because you're feeling guilty or anxious or disgusted with yourself often for what's happening in the moment. And of course, it is about the present moment. It is about the food but it's often much more about the deeper feelings too. So an area of your life where you're feeling guilty or anxious, food can offer distraction, numbing or escape. Focusing on food and exercise and also can also simplify life, so the bigger issues that may feel intolerable to deal with slip into the background. Now, emotions are part of life food whether it's through undereating or overeating it can't really fix the feelings or make them go away and by not tuning into our emotions we're missing out on a valuable internal barometer that sends us messages it kind of guides us our emotions guide us and they kind of tell us which direction we want to go in it's kind of like that heart impulse that we're receiving through the body of course we also need the brain more logic and kind of head function but if you ignore your feelings you're missing out on such a depth of information. Now of course this might sound really simple just to start tuning in with your feelings but your relationship with food is complex as is mine and many factors over the years will have influenced it as it's been in the formation process since birth even arguably before you were born. Your early caregivers and your home environment will have been key in shaping this. So initially, it can be helpful to start thinking about how your early food memories have been shaped. So you might start thinking about what are your early memories of food and eating at home? Did you eat as a family? Were you allowed free access to food at home? Did people in your family enjoy cooking or not? Did you eat in front of the TV? Did you come together as a family? Did kind of people eat on the run? You know, everybody has a slightly different experience and it can be useful to reflect on yours. How are foods labelled, if at all, in the family? Maybe you came from a really foodie family where food was just really enjoyed and it was something that was very pleasurable and nourishing and it doesn't really have negative connotations but maybe you grew up in a family where foods were labeled as good or bad, clean or unclean, healthy or unhealthy. Maybe there is some guilt and shame attached to eating certain foods. Also, what was your parents' relationship with food like? Now, I think many parents have kind of grown up dieting. Diet culture has almost become like something that's like a religion that we're indoctrinated with from birth. And I know I've worked with so many clients whose parents have dieted and have not really even been aware of how damaging that can be and have just been unconsciously passing on messages that they were given themselves. So it can be so helpful to reflect on that, because if you've had a parent who's always been on and off a diet, that's going to have impacted how you feel about your own relationship with food how did people respond to dieting or body size in the family? Were you compared to others? Was there much talk about weight? Did people in the family comment about other people's bodies in the media? Again, these messages can have quite profound effects on how we feel about ourselves. What were family mealtimes like? I mean, did you have family mealtimes? Was it relaxed coming together? Was it stressful? What are your key memories around mealtimes? And did you have to clear your plate? I know I was very much brought up to clear my plate because of the starving children in Africa, and I needed to appreciate everything on my plate. And I think this was a common message given because I think parents brought up post-war, where rationing had been in place, Wasting food was seen as something that was really not desirable at all. So it's understandable these messages were passed on. But obviously, if you always have to clear your plate, it can interfere with your hunger and natural fullness kind of cues. What was your family's attitude to wasting food? Were you allowed to waste food? Did a parent treat themselves as a dustbin, always having to finish all the unwanted food? And did you ever turn to food to feel better or soothe your emotions? You may have memories of maybe sneaking food or, you know, taking food to your room, eating it in secret, hiding wrappers. And if you remember that, you know, it may have shown early signs of emotional eating. And it's really important to have compassion for yourself because of it probably is a way of coping with difficult things that may have been going on. And did you have any special family meals or traditions around food? You might have some really lovely and special memories around food that were unique to your family. You may have some traditions that you're carrying on with your own family today. It doesn't always have to be negative. You know, there can be lots of kind of good things too. So you just want to reflect on the messages. You know, which ones that you were exposed to do you want to keep? Which ones do you want to throw out? And which ones have powerfully influenced you? Because I think we so often absorb all these messages and don't question them. And some of them may be really helping us, but some of them may be hindering us. And the ones that are hindering you are the ones that you perhaps want to let go of and start to move away from. So moving away from focusing on food in the home and the emotional connection there, moving more to talking about emotions generally Your ability to deal with your emotions in a healthy way will also be impacted by your early experiences of interacting with and seeing others close to you deal with their emotions. So if you grew up in an environment that was safe and calm, where there was time to listen to one another, at least some of the time, and where feelings were validated and accepted, then you're more likely to be able to feel your emotions, express your feelings and take action to soothe or feel better. So in this environment, if you're upset, the parent listens to the upset, offers soothing by listening and understanding, and then the child feels safe to express their feelings and moves on. In this example, the child learns it's okay to have feelings. Feelings are safe. Feelings can be expressed and managed healthily. This doesn't always happen, though, because home environments can sometimes be abusive or traumatic or simply too busy and chaotic for healthy emotional processing. So if you experience a hostile environment with trauma or abuse, then understandably this is going to have impacted how you deal with your feelings. And in this instance, you might well want to seek out individual counselling. But you don't have to have experienced trauma or abuse to struggle with feelings. You might have come from a kind, caring and loving home. However, the emotional component may have been lacking in some way. And this will largely be down to your parents or caregivers only being able to offer you emotional support based on their own lived experience. So if your parents' caregivers didn't do this for them, unless they've had therapy or done a great deal of personal development work, then they probably can't do that for you or couldn't couldn't do that for you. And this, again, is not about being critical of parents, because I think everyone really generally is doing the best they can at the time. And you can only do in a way what you've been taught and what you've experienced yourself. So if you've had an experience of having your emotions constantly invalidated and not having your emotional needs met, then it's really hard as a parent to then to be able to go on and do that for your own children as well. So it's really important as you might feel guilty for thinking about your family in a negative way or wrong for doing this. But life is complex. And like I have said, People are really doing the best they can, and perfect parenting doesn't exist. So you can have compassion for how your parents or caregivers were coping due to their circumstances, while also acknowledging where your emotional needs were not met. So here are some common barriers in families in dealing with emotions. So maybe if the child is upset, they're told, you know, don't be silly, don't make a fuss. Maybe the child is given advice by the parent rather than being listened to. Now, I think as well as human beings, I know myself, we can really enjoy giving advice and trying to fix problems because in a way, it's very satisfying, isn't it, to pass on your knowledge and wisdom and to try and make a situation better. But often with our feelings, what we're really needing is not to be fixed, but for someone to listen and accept and maybe just give us a hug or be there with us in that difficult emotion. So if someone is constantly just giving you advice, then it might be hard to acknowledge your feelings or you might feel like you always need to fix your feelings. Another example where emotions can get overlooked is where a home environment is busy or stressfully chaotic with no space to talk about feelings. So if your family have gone through a very difficult time with maybe a bereavement or a divorce or a child illness or something, there may just be so much going on in the family that your parents aren't sort of emotionally available because they're dealing with so much themselves. Another example is where if you have someone in the family who vents their feelings loudly and openly and takes up all the emotional space. So, in this instance, if you are the child in the family that's more the peacekeeper, keep- the harmony maker, there may be no space for your child, your feelings, and you tend to keep quiet, keep the peace. And you get very used to sweeping your emotions under the carpet and caring for others. And the final thing is where a child is shamed or made to feel wrong for feeling. So if you've been shamed for feeling certain things, if you've been humiliated, of course you're going to cut off from your feelings as a means of self-preservation because you don't want to be vulnerable. Additionally, you may have struggled to manage your feelings long before you used food to cope. So if you look back to your childhood, you might see other little coping strategies showing up. For example, things like obsessive rituals, like having to line things up or number things in a certain order, maybe hair pulling, face picking, acting out, withdrawing from others as examples. So moving on now to talking about dieting and how this then really can impact our emotions. So once you start dieting, Food and feelings can become extremely entangled. Food can quickly become a way to manage your emotions. And if you restrict your eating, you will become used to rewarding yourself with food when you do allow yourself to eat. Food quickly becomes associated with self-soothing, reward, pleasure and the number one thing to look forward to. Restrictive eating tends to numb emotions and will protect you from feeling them. In contrast, overeating or binge eating can also be a way to numb or escape emotions. It can also be a way to soothe and feel better. It can be an outlet for negative emotions or a means of escape. It can become a form of self-punishment and these can be true of restrictive eating also. And not all emotional eating is wrong. Some emotional eating is part of life. And if we ate purely for nourishment, maybe we would lose some of the joy from food. Food is meant to be enjoyed and shared and celebrated. Isn't it lovely to share a piece of birthday cake with a friend or to go out for a meal to celebrate someone's new job or something exciting? So it's only a problem when your main strategy or only strategy for feeling better and deriving pleasure is eating. Now, interestingly, you might not even realize how much you're using food for this purpose. You might have become quite dissociated from your emotions and you may not feel them as food steps in as the soother, but also the blocker to emotions. Now, this could be problematic because particularly if you're going through a difficult time emotionally, you could be extremely vulnerable then to turning to food to cope. And this can also bring wide weight fluctuations. You could feel very out of control and could be really damaging for your mental and physical health. So that's why as well, it is beneficial to learn healthier ways of coping with emotions. So you can use food, but you've got other strategies too. So changing your relationship between food and emotions. To begin to disrupt the cycle of emotional eating, you need to step back and become more aware of your emotions and your responses to them with or without food. You can enhance your awareness of this through using the food and feelings diary, and you may find it extremely challenging to identify emotions to start with. You may become adept at dissociating from them and pushing your feelings away. But your feelings are there for a reason. They are an internal barometer that gives you important information. So it might be a new learning process to begin to explore your emotional world. And this may feel really uncomfortable to begin with. So how to begin to tune into your emotions. So the first thing to do is just to stop and pause and just ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? Can you name the feeling? Now, what you might want to do is go to Google and type in emotions wheel under the image tab. And it will take you to these wonderful, colorful emotional wheels that you can download. And it gives you a whole list of emotions on this wheel, which can really help expand your emotional repertoire and help you get more in touch with your feelings. You might find this quite hard to do to begin with but just take it one step at a time. Baby steps are key. Now you might look at the wheel and think, I still don't know how I'm feeling. So another way you can tune into your emotions is notice how you're feeling in your body. So what body sensations are you feeling? So it might be butterflies in the stomach. It might That might indicate anxiety. You might feel tightness in the body that might indicate anger or a heavy feeling might indicate sadness. So you can like do a body scan of head to toe and think about where you're feeling your emotion. And then it's important to just try and learn to lean into the discomfort and allow yourself to feel the feeling trust that you can survive the feeling because feelings normally come in waves and ebb and flow it's only when we ignore our feelings and push them all under the carpet that they can come out in this big volcano and they feel really destructive and overwhelming and once you've identified the feeling ask yourself the question what is it that i need right now how can i take care of myself how else can i achieve this need without using food now, now, if I just give you an example, myself earlier, I felt quite overwhelmed at lunchtime. My children returned halfway through the day from school because they've had to isolate due to COVID. i meant to be working at home. So it's a whole kind of change and disruption to my day. So in the moment, I really felt quite overwhelmed. And maybe in the past, it would have been very easy to turn to food as a way to kind of soothe and escape that feeling. But I was aware I was feeling quite overwhelmed. And I recognized in a way that I just needed to slow down, take some time out, have my lunch, distracted myself with a few chores, kind of tuned in, engage with the children, even briefly. And then I felt much calmer and I was able to engage in my work again. But I was only able to do that by taking that conscious step of stepping back and just really noticing how am I feeling and what do I need to take care of myself? That's really important to be patient and kind with yourself with this process because you're learning a new skill and it's not easy at first. So what are some common coping strategies for dealing with emotions in a healthy way? So it could be reaching out to a friend and getting support. I know that definitely when I'm feeling overwhelmed often with my emotions, I really want to speak to one or two of my closest and trusted friends. It could just be having a hug. It could be writing down my feelings in a journal, going for a walk to have a change of scene, breathing or meditation, doing something that is kind and relaxing. And maybe, you know, if you're feeling angry, you might need to express your energy outwards and safely. So like maybe, for example, punching a cushion. Now, because of the short term fix that food can offer in numbing, soothing or distracting, it is very typical that you might feel some ambivalence about not using food to regulate your emotions. This is very normal. Nothing else will feel as good as food to start with. And you may be also drawn to numbing feelings in alternative ways rather than food. For example, drinking alcohol, overworking or shopping online. So try not to judge yourself, but be aware of the patterns you could fall into. Now, in the early stages of this work, you might feel that your emotions are all over the place. This is understandable, as if you've been suppressing your emotions for a while, then it's very reasonable that they've been building up like a pressure cooker. And you might find that you feel surges of emotion that can feel overwhelming and this is uncomfortable. You might feel scared or angry at yourself for feeling emotions and want to direct them inwards by self-punishing. But really work not to do this and do seek support if you're feeling really overwhelmed and that this is a very strong driver. So points to consider taking forward. Everybody feels the whole range of emotions at different points. Everybody, however perfect things look on the outside, everyone feels envious, jealous, rage, anxiety, frustration at different times. And you can make your emotional life much easier if you're taking care of yourself. So, if you're staying hydrated, eating regularly, managing alcohol, getting good sleep, you're going to be in a much better place to regulate your emotions because if you're hungry, tired, exhausted, really really hard to regulate your emotions you're going to be on a short fuse your ability to regulate your emotions will be severely compromised when self-care levels are low I know myself if I'm not looking after myself I'm more irritable I'm more frustrated I'm less tolerant of other people and if I find myself responding in those unhelpful ways I know I need to fill up my self-care bucket and take care of myself So, remember, self care isn't selfish. It actually makes you a much better person to be around. You are not wrong for having emotions. We all have emotions. And you don't have to be ruled by your emotions. They're this internal barometer that can guide you and help you follow your intuition, help you follow your values, help you follow your own path. They provide valuable wisdom and insight. And by not tuning into our emotions, we lose the joy of life you know because I think as well if you tune out from your negative emotions you also lose the joy and pleasure too. So if you're not following me already do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist and for further support with your relationship with food do visit my website at the uk. If you'd like to support this podcast you can enroll in my Patreon, more details about that are in the show notes. I'd also be so grateful if you would rate, follow, and review this podcast. The podcast is now just about in the top 50 of the Apple mental health podcast charts. So, thank you for all your support and listening to the podcast because it's really helping it get up the rankings there, which I am thrilled about. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.